It's polarization that causes conflict, not differences. The problem is we other. Forgetting that all of us are first and foremost spiritual beings. We have to stop colluding with each other's spiritual amnesia in order to confront the fierce urgency of now. But, spoiler alert, to change the world, you have to change. Greetings, and thank you for joining me on my Pathways to We podcast. I'm the Reverend Deborah L. Johnson, also known as Rev D. So glad to be exploring with you the possibilities and the potentialities that we have as society to be so much greater than anything that we've ever imagined. You know, our experience is not actually the things that happen. Our experience is how we name what has happened. How we name it. We can't unring the bell. We can't unspill the milk. But we get to determine what it all means. Language is so important because language shapes how we see things. Language often shapes the way that we perceive things as being connected or not. Our language constructs can lead us into many perceptions that can either help us or work against us. The English language is interesting in many different ways as far as how it shapes what it is that we see. Particularly the way that we use an adjective, a descriptive before a noun. Say, for example, we're talking about ice cream. You can say, well, there's Rocky Road ice cream. There's pistachio ice cream. There's strawberry. There's vanilla. There's coconut. We can say there's orange juice, tomato juice, pineapple juice, grape juice. And when we say those things, it appears to be that they're very distinct from one another. We would probably even fail to see their commonalities. If you take Spanish in contrast, Spanish will start with the noun and then what we would call the adjective. 
So it's not orange juice, it's juice of the orange. Juice of the lemon. Juice of the grape. Juice of the tomato. You don't miss the fact that it's juice. You kind of miss that in the English language. Because you're so busy seeing grapes and pineapple and oranges and apples and lemons that you forget there is a commonality here. It's juice. You know, we say law school and medical school and business school and um, cosmetology school and all these different things. Where in Spanish, it's school. School of law, school of medicine, school of this, school of that. You don't miss the fact that it's a school. So think of these implications. Particularly when we use the adjective to completely define the population where we're not even using a word anymore that relates to people. It's just a descriptor. The homeless. The incarcerated. The illegal aliens. That sounds like it's something from outer space. <laughs> and notice when we do that, we are othering. We're othering. They're not quite people anymore. They're caricatures of an idea. The problem is that when we other people, we lose sight of their humanity. We're far more likely to treat them ill, to allow harm to come to them or perhaps perpetuate it ourselves. When they become just a noun, we stop having empathy, compassion. We stop seeing them as connected to us in any kind of way. I think Martin Luther King Jr. said it well. He said, when we do this kind of thing, we are trading in the I-thou relationship for an I-it relationship. The moment we start talking about the whatever, then they lose their humanity. So imagine for a moment if we stopped talking about the homeless, 
And instead, we talked about people without homes. People who are not housed. Can you feel the difference in that right away? The homeless versus people without homes. The moment that you even say people without homes, something stirs within you. Because there's something inside that's subtly saying, but everybody should have a home. There's something off here. When you talk about the homeless, it's just a plight, so to speak. A plight that quite often people are grateful for the fact that they're not in it. As opposed to really deep introspection. What's what's going on here? What's going on here? People who do not have homes. It puts their humanity first. This is one of the issues that comes up a lot. When people saying, don't refer to us as disabled or the disabled. Because it conjures up something in the mind that robs them of their full humanity. That we're people. We're people who happen to have disabilities. We're differently abled. But we are people nonetheless. This wholesale labeling like this, for example, contributes to there being such an exceptionally high unemployment rate amongst persons with different abilities. There tends to be the perception of them as handicapped, the perception of them as incapable, the perception of them as not being able, even the perception of not being as healthy. But health and your level of physical ability Those aren't the same thing. In fact, studies have shown that as far as workers go, that quite often people with so-called disabilities are the better employees. They're the better workers. There is not as high of a turnover rate. They're much more consistent much more loyal, dedicated, and quite often take fewer days off than what some of the other people do. But it's all based upon a perception. 
when we talk about the incarcerated, once again, it becomes this amorphous group for whom you needn't have compassion. And it feels like they've got nothing to do with you and your life. But if we put the humanity back in, the people who are incarcerated. But I want to push the discussion a little further. We have a tendency when we're speaking of these things to speak of it from the standpoint of the one who is in uh, the most traumatized uh, position. But we're not speaking of it from the standpoint of the ones who are perpetuating it and where the change really needs to happen. For example, if you talk about slavery, you're talking about the people who were experiencing a life subjugated to a lack of freedom, to slavery. It's a very different conversation when you talk about enslavement. That's a different conversation. When you talk about the consciousness that enabled and perpetuated the notion that some people could and had the right to enslave other people, that's the issue. That's the issue. When I hear people say, well, why are we talking about slavery? That was such a long time ago. Why are we talking about slavery? The, the, the issue, and when people are talking about it, isn't really so much about slavery and like what happened to the black slaves the issue that's trying to be discussed is the institution the institutionalization of enslavement that whatever that consciousness was that said it's okay for us to have all of the rights in a supremacist position and for you to be inferior with no rights, whatever that is that would allow that kind of differential justification, that consciousness is still alive and well today. That consciousness is still alive and well today. That the discussion isn't just about slavery. 
ones that were enslaved, but enslavement. If you take incarceration for an example, the United States is 5% of the world's population, but 25% of the world's incarcerated. That's something, isn't it? When you put the racial disparities on top of that, how African-Americans are over half, way over half of the incarcerated in the United States. Here you have a population that's less than a thousandth of a percent of the whole world's population that's over 12.5% of the world's incarcerated population. We talk about mass incarceration and it makes us think of the people in the prison. We need to talk about mass incarcerating. Mass incarcerating. What is it about us that is creating such a demand to lock people up? Why will we spend in the state of California over $65,000 a year to lock up an adult and we won't pay a fraction of that to make sure that their life is sustainable enough that they can live. Why in the state of California do we pay over $250,000 a year per average per youth in the juvenile justice system. Quarter of a million dollars. <laughs> do you know what you can do with a quarter of a million dollars? If you just invested it in the child? Can you imagine? In the child, in their community, in their family? I'm not saying these things to point fingers. I'm saying these things to say that how we language something in our mind defines what the problem is. And we have missed the mark too often on what the problem is. Because we keep speaking of it in such a way that the ones who have the greatest responsibility for shifting and making it change appear to not even have any relationship to it at all.
when we see things like the Me Too movement, for example, and you have all of these women who are coming out and talking about the sexual harassment and the sexual abuse that they have experienced. When you hear people talk about statistics and things like, well, one in every three women are, will be raped by the time they're whatever. And I think, isn't that interesting? We never talk about the rapists. We never talk about the ones that are creating it in the first place. I think it's wonderful that we have women in the streets demanding equality and demanding that they be treated with dignity and respect. But you know what? It's not going to turn around till men are in the streets. <laughs> That's when it's going to turn around. And not when we just talk about the rights that women have, but the right that men don't have. The rights we don't have to enslave people. The rights we don't have to make people second-class citizens. And as long as we keep making sexual harassment about a woman's issue, <laughs> we're not going to get any place. We have to rename things. We have to redefine them. I'm not saying that I have the panacea answers. I'm not telling you what it is that you particularly need to do or what we need to do as a society. I'm not saying I have all of the framing. What I am saying is that the paradigms that we have been operating in and the language that we have been using to describe our most dire problems, that the language itself is working against us. And I invite you into the inquiry. I invite you into the discussion. Have it with your friends. Have it with your coworker. Have it with your family. Journal and talk to your own self. How can we move from the disempowering to open up our eyes in a way that brings not only more compassion, but a closer step to actually taking action.
think on these things. And I'd love to be with you on another episode. Peace and blessings to you. Thank you for being with us. Check out my other podcast shows and follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Please visit my new website at revdnow.com and join my contact list. I'd love to hear from you and stay in touch. The question is, are you ready to change?